Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to We Just Like to Talk with your host, Becky and Ben. This is a podcast for easy listening about hard subjects. Today we're talking about Miss Holly Bourne. Today we're going to be talking about the author Holly Bourne. Ben introduced me to her, I would say about, what, like two years ago? Yeah, I think that's all right. With the Spinster Trilogy. We'll get more into that, but today we're going to be talking about, well, specifically about her book, How Do You Like Me Now? Trigger warning for we're going to be talking about things like mental health issues like OCD, uh, eating disorders, sexist, misogynistic acts, so... A little bit of spoilers for the books, probably, but not like major, major spoilers, except probably once we get to How Do You Like Me Now, I think we're just going to spoil that wide open, so. Yeah. (laughs) So if you want to listen to it, just just stop before we start talking about it. Exactly. Right. So Holly Bourne is um, a British author. She started off writing novels, sort of young adult novels. Like you just said, her Spinster Club trilogy was kind of her her most well-known works until recently um but since then she's published a couple more young adult novels as well as the one that we're going to be talking about in the second part of the podcast how do we how do you like me now which is her first novel for adults and i was just like these are cool books and i want to share them with becky so i've kind of like pushed them on you i'm a pusher that way i'm a book pusher (laughs) yeah you are which I love. Yeah, you see, and you seem to have enjoyed them. One of the things I want to do with our podcast is talk about books that we like and authors that we enjoy and things like that. And I thought that Holly Bourne is a good place to start because not only is she an author whom we both enjoy reading and whose books I think have, have both brought us a lot of entertainment, but also a lot of like feelings. She's also an author who's kind of helped us bond more because we talk about her books together and we sort of commiserate over the books and we go, oh my God, can you believe what we just read? And I really like that. Me too. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Spinster Club trilogy is uh, called that because the three main characters in these books, Amber, Evie, and Lottie, these three girls are uh, 16, 17, going on 18 years old, uh, still figuring things out. And they, they form what they call the spinster club because obviously they're unmarried uh, one of the girls lottie she's sort of the most ardently feminist of the group and amber and evie kind of go along with her but each book focuses on, on one of these three girls and their particular struggles with being a teenager dealing with relationships both romantic ones and friendships and parents and family uh, and also their particular sort of mental health issues as well Am I Normal Yet deals with Evie, and her particular issue is um, she has obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD as we call it. It's just, it's such an interesting book because it takes this issue of OCD and it wraps it up around everything else that is involved in Evie's life. Uh, and it, it, it portrays it sympathetically, 
it kind of, it reminds us that this is a this is a serious issue because I think that you know a lot of people say things like oh that's just my OCD acting up or oh ha ha, ha mm-hmm. I'm so OCD and we make these jokes about it but it's it's actually a serious issue. I think that can be said about like a lot of mental disorders like. People just throw around like, oh, that girl's so bipolar or that guy's such a narcissist. But we absolutely like throw around these psychological terms or diagnoses that should be kept solely if if you have a diagnosis, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I, I noticed right away about reading the Spinster Club trilogy right from the first book is just like Holly Bourne is so dedicated to portraying feminism in an open way. Like, she doesn't patronize her younger readers. She doesn't try to, like, explain feminism in a basic way. She's like, you know what feminism is. These three characters have these explicit discussions about feminism, talking about, like, the terms, talking about, like, what is it to be a slut or to be brainy or to be a bimbo or a good girl or a bad girl. And they take these things and they deconstruct them in a way that's, you know, it's quite mature for their age. But it doesn't sound artificial. It's not like she's putting words in these characters' mouths. These sound like conversations that teenage girls would really have if they're exposed to these ideas online, for example. Uh, and I just I love that she's portraying this from like a bottom-up perspective rather than a top-down thing of this is how feminism should be done. Mm-hmm. My hope, of course, because I'm a teacher and I'm coming at this from the, the point of view of as, as an older person, uh, but my hope is that younger people are reading these books and they're seeing these positive portrayals of feminism and they're seeing these characters who are around their age uh, who are flawed and it's not like they have it all figured out they're not these perfect feminist icons they make mistakes right they kiss the bad boys as well like they don't always make the right choices and they screw up and that's okay love it i absolutely agree you read what's a girl gotta do the third one most recently right and i know you have this thing you have this thing with holly Bourne books where it's like it takes you a while to get into them mm-hmm. but then there's that point where you're just you're hooked and you just you have to finish reading them <laughs> yeah so what was your experience with this book like once you got to that point and you you were just you were into it and you were hooked what was your experience like watching Lottie kind of like unravel um the character Lottie she decides I'm going to call out every sexist act that I've seen and I'm going to film it and she starts that that off with the best in, of intentions but of course it really like wears her down right it was interesting like as you said like Hollyborn definitely tries to create like more like realistic characters and not these like these heroic characters that don't have any flaws or they don't make any mistakes so it was really um refreshing to see when she like went to the bar with her friends and she got like super super drunk and when will tries to bring her back and she's like no i'm an independent (laughs) feminist and then she like starts running away and i don't know i i thought it was so realistic because i feel like most people in that situation like when you're so on one side of something and then you're like well i can't go to the other side and and say that i need help or or want this man to like walk me home but then I guess she realized like yeah this is like a ridiculous situation and he's just trying to like look out for the best for her and I and I did like because Will definitely has this like armor on right like yeah I have it all together and maybe like a bit of like a womanizer like not actually but that's just like I guess how he wants to be portrayed but then we he's very resistant to 
calling himself a feminist, right? Like he goes around and he's like, I'm an equalitist. Yeah, exactly. Like he he doesn't want to admit like what she's doing actually makes total sense and we need more people like that doing what, she, what she's doing, calling out sexism. And mm-hmm. maybe he just like got his eyes opened a little bit and you, you kind of see like him slowly like taking it off, right? So he definitely surprised. I think he surprised me the most. Will is a character that I found really interesting in that book because there's definitely elements of his characterization that really resonated with me as a guy. Like what? The way that he's so focused on being rational and on everything has to be justified with like logic and reasons and argued about uh, that I can really recognize that in myself, especially when I was younger, because I'm, I'm so... Uh, bookish and so academic and scholarly and like for me it's always like facts and reasons right and I I think one of the interesting and valuable things that Bourne does with Will is you know she shows how especially when it comes to the way that that men are raised and socialized you know we put this this value on being rational when other people whether they're women or regardless of their gender when they express discomfort or they they express something with a lot of emotion they get judged for that and they get looked down upon because that's not valued as much as being rational or logical about something. Well, that's showing vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting how Will has to kind of like undergo this this process of uh, dealing with those internalized ideas and the way that Lottie and Amber and Evie sort of call him out on it and, and help him understand that. But at the same time, like they don't do all the work for him because that's not their job. It's... They just they point out where they where they think he's being unreasonable uh, by by leaning falling back too much on rationality and and that that particular part of the book uh, was quite recognizable to me. Mm, nice. move on to how do you like me now all right i'm so excited to talk about this me too so this book is notable because it's holly Bourne's first novel for adults so all her other books have been targeted towards young adults this is an adult novel the main character is just turning 30 uh, and my first impression when i was reading this book was wow i cannot wait to talk about this with becky because so much of this character reminds me of you in the best possible way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, not not in the sense of like her attitude towards things because, and I, I, mm-hmm. I think I mentioned this to you when I was reading it. Like, I feel like you, you've already learned a lot of the lessons that Tori has to learn throughout this novel. Mm-hmm. But just in yep. terms of like her experiences with um, being on social media, presenting herself in a very curated way because she's got a brand. <laughs> Some of her experiences, like being in a longer term relationship and not being satisfied with it, trying to figure out her next steps in life. I'm just like, wow, like this, this is going to be so relatable for Becky. In all, in all aspects of life, right? Yeah. And I was so excited mm-hmm. to share it with you. Um, <laughs> so I'm going, I'm going to, I've got a little summary prepared here for people who haven't read the book and don't mind being spoiled yep. later on, but this is, this is your little teaser summary. Uh, so how do, how do you like me now? is about Tori, who is turning 30 and still riding the wave of success her memoir of her 20s has brought. But her life isn't anything like what she portrays on social media. Her romance with the man on the rock has cooled to lukewarm at best. 
All her friends are getting married, having babies, or both, and they're posting about it ad nauseum. And her publisher is breathing down her neck for her next big book idea. Tori makes a living from seeming like she has it all together, but she's having trouble coming to grips with the fact that no one really does. Nice. That was a great summary for our listeners. So I, I love how it starts off. It's just like, Olivia Jensen, six-month bump alert. The belly has popped, people. The belly has popped. Hashtag bum selfie. Hashtag blessed. And then there's like another one. I'll just give a quick example. So Harry Spears. I liked it so dot dot dot. I put a ring on it. <laughs> like it's just so gross, but it's so realistic. And yeah. As a little experiment, like I sort of went through Facebook today, actually, and I was just like, oh, okay, wow. yeah, okay. So these aren't like, these aren't like word for word from some people's and like, I'm going to keep everyone anonymous, obviously, but I'll give you a couple of examples. Okay, here we go. You ready for this? Three years ago today, my best friend said she would marry me. Barf. And then like it went on and on like this huge paragraph. And then there's always ones that are like you know from like a bridal store from friends and it's like she said yes to the dress or like hashtag (laughs) or like hashtag blessed or um do do people still use hashtag blessed unironically yeah like i don't know i feel like i've seen it a couple places like sometimes i feel like people use so many hashtags that you really gotta like dig through them you know and yeah i'm sure i'm sure people use it like unironically like you said it's like people are so focused on portraying this image you know or our relationship is so great that they're not even like really working on their relationship you know they're just like posting pictures and i don't know yeah so it reminds me of rereading this book recently there's a chapter where tori goes to a friend's wedding Part of the scene is it focuses so much on the photography at the wedding and how the wedding photographers keep asking the happy couple to like redo something or to hold a pose for minutes on end mm-hmm. so they can get that perfect photograph. And it's like the couple is almost so obsessed with getting those perfect shots that it interrupts the enjoyment of the wedding day itself. Oh, absolutely. Like firsthand experience of going, you know, it's like the day just kind of like flies by for them and they they're so focused on the image and and not enjoying the moment and being present so yeah there's a lot in this book about that the tension between your actual self your inner self who you really are and your appearances and keeping up Mm -hmm. with appearances right keeping up with your own appearances and then also keeping up with like the appearance of maybe like your relationship too, right? Yeah, because every single person who reads Tori's book, they're always like one of the one of their questions is always like are you and the man on the rock still together? Yeah. It's just like it's so it's so interesting and it's so relatable I think for so many people because let's be real, I feel like I was re- recently in a relationship like that where Obviously, there were really great moments, but for the most part, we we kept up this appearance, right? And so many people would say to us, like, oh, you guys are like the perfect couple and don't ever break up because then my faith in love will just evaporate. And it's like, it's a crazy amount of pressure when you think about it. Yeah. What I love about this book is that you do get to see like the behind the scenes and and the moments where Tom, like her boyfriend is just like, 
shutting her down or shutting her out and Ugh, Tom. she feels like so lonely and it's like I think that's the part I was like oh wow like that hits like very close to home mm-hmm. I mean a lot of it hit close to home for sure but and it's sad because it's like you have this like outside pressure but then she also has this like internal pressure like Tori like this is like your happily ever after and you got to keep this up and you don't want to be alone so like do everything you can to like keep this man around and even though he's not doing anything yeah and I think unfortunately like a lot of women can relate to that because sometimes a lot of the pressure like can't is put on the women right oh well from what I understand yes (laughs) Tom is the worst he is but this so this is the brilliant thing I think about Tom and about Hollyborn's characterization in general he is the worst but he's believably the worst yeah he's not outwardly like hitting her or yeah or name calling it's it's those subtle remarks that like eventually I think wear away wear away at your self-esteem and your relationship and and I'm not saying that it doesn't take two to wear something down like that but Mm -hmm. you can definitely see like it's like he has this like armor up and his walls up and he's just kind of like throwing things at her like from behind the wall right yeah because there there are certainly relationships where a partner is like being abusive and there's the violence or the emotional manipulation and stuff and that but that's very easy to write and portray in the sense of it's yeah. very obvious right and it, it takes yeah. a lot more skill sometimes to to write that that borderline where it's like there's things that Tom does that are quite emotionally manipulative and there's things that Tom does that are just not okay. But at the mm-hmm. same time, he's, he's just such a mediocre person. Yeah, he's so mediocre. And I think in friendships and in especially in romantic relationships, like you have these moments where you can either like these moments of like you can either like make a connection or you can just like turn away from your partner right like you can keep on playing your video game Mm -hmm. even though you notice your partner's sad or you can like set aside you know press pause and like turn towards your partner and be vulnerable and let them be vulnerable and then that way you're like coming together and you're building like a stronger like relationship or foundation but here you see a lot of like Tori making the effort or trying to make an effort and Tom is just like either instantly shuts her down or like gives her like a little bit and then sort of like cuts it off. Like, oh, like that should be enough for you. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna slap your I'm gonna slap your ass and tell you you look hot and maybe give you a little kiss, <laughs> but I'm not going to like initiate sex or and so we see Tori kind of like grasping for the the need to feel like wanted. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad because it's just like you don't need his approval. But of, of course, you're in this like whirlwind of, of a relationship and your part of your self-esteem is like coming from your partner. Yeah. And she feels like it's her fault that Tom doesn't want her. Right. And he yeah. he openly reinforces that fact. He's, he suggests when she brings up the idea that they should go to couples therapy, he suggests she should go to therapy. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, like, this is all you. Like, you're the crazy one. Like, yeah. I don't need it. Yeah, that's so sick. When she wants to talk about their relationship, he just starts calling her crazy. And he's like, I can't talk to you when you're this emotional and upset, right? Like he, like you said, he's shutting her down constantly. And 
any any time that they they might you know veer too close to talking about their feelings he just turns it around and puts it back on her and says well now you're just getting too emotional i can't deal with you when you're like this you're unreasonable for her birthday like he he thinks he's like made an effort by like buying her like a vibrator yes like it's so bad because you're like this is so realistic too like this woman has been like wanting to rekindle like their physical connection or Mm -hmm. intimacy or whatever and like pretty much like begging him like to have sex or just to be even like the bubble bath scene like oh my god that is so cringy like tries to have a nice bubble bath with him and he's just like acting like a three-year-old you know yeah and so for her birthday like buys her a vibrator and is like yeah even went to agent provocateur like aren't you so proud of me like now you can have like the best organisms of your life and it's like okay buddy like if that were the case like she would just like dump you and and be single and buy her own vibrator like yeah. she doesn't need you to like buy her a vibrator and like tell like reinforce that on she her she wants right? to have the orgasms with you dude yeah like how sad is that that he can't even see it and and it but it's so it's so accurate it's scary it's like you know some guys would probably do that in a relationship and think that they're making some sort of effort mhm they and expect cookies for it right like oh aren't i such an enlightened yeah. man and then and then <laughs> of course there's the there's the the one scene in the book where they actually do get intimate um and she gives tom a blowjob right and it it starts off yeah. awkward and it gets worse because it gets to the point where he like starts pushing her head down on him and not letting her sort of stop when she decides I've had enough of this. And basically it turns non-consensual and it's, Mm -hmm. again, it's not one of those like very overt rape scenes where he's forcing her, but at the same time he's not picking up on her cues. And then Mm -hmm. because the book is told from Tori's point of view, right? She, she rationalizes it to us and she's like, Oh, like, okay, well maybe he didn't notice that I wanted him to stop or something like that. Right. And it's just, it, it, it's so much that embodiment of like rape culture of like it, it's her fault she's she's victim blaming herself um mm-hmm. when really tom's just being you know an asshole about it yeah absolutely and do you like do you think like tom is like aware of his actions or did you do you just think that he's just such an unaware person of like how he's making her feel he is negative a bazillion percent unaware yeah like tom i don't know tom needs a reality check i think as most people do (laughs) fair yeah (laughs) but no i agree with you on that i i I think tom gets off too easy let's put it that way and then of course the end of the book tori just eventually snaps and everything kind of like comes falling down for her she goes through that whole crisis she finally decides to break up with him right and she has that realization of like he the relationship has been done for a while it's just that he he was never going to be the one to finish it right because he he was going to cling on to that for as long as he could yeah absolutely i know from from conversations i've had with you like that's something that you can relate to from some of your past relationships right where it's like you both kind of knew that it's either over or going to be over soon but you just weren't ready to sort of have that final conversation yeah, yeah, I think very similarly to Tori, it was like we both didn't want to like sit down and be like, okay, like this clearly isn't healthy for the both of us. So 
obviously I feel like now I would I would for sure end something like much more quickly but I, I mean you know when you're a little bit younger and you think like oh this is like my one and only kind of thing right mm-hmm. um my one true love <laughs> and uh I tried so hard like Tori to just make things better repeatedly you know like have certain conversations or nothing really worked and I think sometimes when you put like part of your self-esteem into either like a person or like a relationship like that that's always like a recipe for disaster and I sort of reached a point where I was like okay well I'm not gonna like outright end things but I'm gonna like push back more so that it kind of like comes to that point if that makes any sense right yeah sort of like what tori did towards the end when she was just like that's it like i'm gonna i'm gonna yell back at you like i'm gonna i'm gonna question you i'm gonna make a scene yeah i'm gonna make a scene even if it embarrasses you like you she reached this this pinnacle where it was just like no, 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 like I'm not taking any more of, of you or this. Mm-hmm. It has to end. Oh. <laughs> it's powerful. Bam! <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving on from Tom and relationship. Okay. Quite early in the book, Tori's just scrolling through photos on Facebook and, and whatnot, and she encounters photos of the, the person who's getting married uh, the next day and her bridesmaids. And she she sees this post. There's an interior monologue that Tori does of all of her thoughts, like stream of consciousness. And it's really interesting. So, and I, when I was rereading this, I'm like, I, ca- I, I need to hear this in your voice, Becky. I feel like you've got, you, you can perform <laughs> this and you can capture yeah. exactly the tone of what would be going through Tori's mind right now. So could you please read this for me? <laughs> yes. Okay. Are you ready for this? No, I'm not. I'm. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, so Jessica Healy. Toasting my last night as a single gal. Can't believe tomorrow I get to marry my best friend and become Mrs. Jessica Thornton. Here are some of the thoughts I have. You are a traitor for changing your surname. You have lost lots of weight for your wedding and are now either as skinny or skinnier than me and now I need to set my alarm early so I can work out tomorrow. If one more person tells me they're marrying their best friend, I will run out of vomit. Who is that girl too in from the left? She's prettier and thinner than me and I hate her. Maybe I should click on her profile and look at every single photo her privacy settings allow and torture myself with how she is prettier and thinner than me? Who would I pick as my bridesmaid? No, Tori, you don't believe in marriage, remember? Well, that's not quite true. Is that Tori? It's Tom who doesn't believe in marriage. Well, it's not like he said that exactly, just more that he seems very adamant that marrying you isn't a good idea at all. But that's fine. You don't want any of that archaic shit anyway. I press like and turn off my phone. Perfect, you nailed it. Wow. (laughs) Boom. As long as you're happy, that's all that matters. I'm so happy. <laughs> so that was really that was really good. Um, yeah, and just reading it, I'm just thinking like it's so interesting because Tori presents herself to her followers because she's built this following of being this strong, independent woman who 
discovered mm-hmm. herself in her 20s and realized, hey, she has to follow her own path and not the path of everybody else. And and she presents herself as this strong feminist icon, yet her mm-hmm. interior monologue is that conflicted monologue of like, well, I'm judging you. Oh, you're skinnier than me. Or who would I have for my bridesmaids? But wait, no, I'm not supposed to believe in marriage because that's, anti-fem- that's anti-feminist of me. And just like, it's, it's so interesting because it's so rich and conflicted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think a lot of people like probably struggle with the same issue of like sometimes when you go so far to one extreme and then, you know, you see people like on the other end and you feel like you can judge them and talk badly about them, but like then you're not being any better than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can like totally relate to this because well, at one point in my life I was like so anti-marriage. I was like, I'm never getting married. I'm never pushing a kid out of my vagina and <laughs> I, I remember that having these conversations with you yes yeah yeah like you remember I was, I was very extreme and I I went I went from one end to I would say closer to the middle I, I don't think I'll ever go to the other extreme of you don't think you'd pull a d where it's like you're you know everybody <laughs> can push a baby out of their vagina it's not exactly, you know, something you should get rewarded for to getting pregnant, having a baby and basically kind of like pushing Tori away a bit towards the end of the book. That's so heartbreaking. It is sad because, but I mean, she does sort of come back and she's like, I'll never be like, you know, those, those women that's always are constantly like shoving it in your face. Like, Mm -hmm. ooh, look at me. Like I have a kid and. Mm -hmm. Born also portrays. Tori in this situation as having these somewhat unrealistic expectations of like, well, yeah, things are going to change when Dee has her baby. That's what happens when you have a baby. And mm-hmm. Dee isn't necessarily behaving in an inappropriate way when she obsesses over her newborn child and kind of forgets that Tori's very anti-baby, right? And it's like, oh, you'll feel differently when you have one of your own, Tori. Like, I think we can forgive Dee for these lapses mm-hmm. because she, she's she's obsessed with her kid and that's understandable. And th- that's a moment where we get to see the, the flawed aspect of Tori, right? Where it's like she's she's a little bit so wrapped up in what she's going through that she forgets that Dee just pushed a baby out of her vagina. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think we should just accept that. It's just like, if you want to have kids, that's great. If you don't want to have kids, that's great too. If you're somewhere in the middle, that's also fine. Like you don't have to, you don't have to be in one camp or the other. Like it's a huge life decision, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's at the, that's one of the, one of the cores of this book, right? Is that whole conversation around deciding whether or not to have children, whether or not to get married and have that official label about it. One of my favorite scenes of the whole book is that baby shower scene. Yeah, that scene is so great. Yeah, especially towards the end. And I've never been to a baby shower myself, but I've been around enough baby showers that were held when we were working at the art gallery to know the sort of very stereotypical games that go on there that reinforce gender yep. roles and stuff. Mm-hmm. My favorite line happens at the end of the book where... Tori is cleaning up and the other childless attendee of the baby shower has stayed behind to help Tori clean up. And they're, they're talking about the whole thing. She tells Tori, 
I just can't help overhearing conversations like this, and thinking, men don't have these conversations, and feeling like there's something weird going on. I felt that. <laughs> That's the moment that helped me understand that it's not that baby showers themselves are these bad things, right? It's the expectations that are built into the way that we tend to conduct baby showers, right? Where it's like, like there's, there's no baby shower equivalent for the person who's not pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it's Absolutely. like you're expected, oh, you're pregnant, you're expecting a baby. Let's have a baby shower and do lots of very stereotypical things. And that that mm-hmm. kind of ceremony has never really stereotypically existed for, you know, typically men in this situation, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Having attended a few baby showers, like, obviously I'm always happy for the person that is having the baby. And I think that's really great that we get to celebrate this person and this and this new human coming into the world like i think that part's really wonderful but also i think like we can include others in this like this doesn't just have to be like you know quote unquote like women only or or Mm. whatever sometimes it's just like i find it so like forced or it's so so cheesy it's just like is there any alcohol to make this more bearable (laughs) (laughs) we're also at this age because we're both closer to 30 uh that where it it's like we are not necessarily expected but but if either of us were to get married and have a child it would be normal it would be considered normal right mm-hmm. and and that's what gets me is like our society puts so much emphasis and so much weight on those experiences of getting married and having kids there's definitely that uh, sense that people give you of like, oh, you're you're missing out on this special part of human existence. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I, I don't want to throw shade at anybody who's happily married or who has kids because you do you. But yeah, I don't feel like I'm missing out. Right. If, if I want to spend time with kids, I have friends who have kids who will happily lend me their kids because I'm sure they could use a break. Um, yeah, no uh, kidding. Yeah, like, and if, <laughs> yeah, and I don't feel like I'm missing out not being married. I, I get plenty of fulfillment from my friendships and stuff. And, mm-hmm. But there's also that thing of like, it's so easy for us to get caught up in what we don't have. Right. And to yeah, to imagine like, oh, like maybe we'd be happy if we just had this in our life. But that's not true because people who have that thing in their life, whether it's a romantic partner or a kid or a brand new house or whatever, just because they have that thing that doesn't make them happy. We all have difficulties in our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what those photos yeah. don't capture. Yeah, exactly. And and like you were saying, like you're not throwing shade at the people who like are deciding to get married or or having kids and it's like then the reverse should be true like the people that are doing these things like shouldn't look down on people that don't do those don't participate in that Mm -hmm. and be like oh well you wouldn't know because you don't have kids and it's like well you wouldn't know because you do have kids so (laughs) like yeah, it's like we can, like you, like you were saying, it's like the grass is greener on the other side. Can we talk for a moment about Taylor Faithful? Yeah, let's talk about. Yep, 
Absolutely. Let's talk about her idol. Yes. I just, I think it's so interesting. Like, So Tori in this book, she's positioned as kind of like a, a mid-level successful author. She's got a following. The book is known if she's not. Tori herself has an idol that she follows on Instagram whose name is Taylor Faithful. And at one point, Tori even gets to meet Taylor when they both are giving a TED Talk and Tori totally fangirls out and gets super embarrassed. But she has this unrealistic expectation about Taylor and the the perfection of Taylor's life that other people in turn have about her. Hollyborn lampshades this by having Tori say, even gurus need a guru. Mm. Um, so, So Taylor Faithful is Tori's own role model. But then, spoiler alert, uh, because we haven't been spoiling this book enough already, um, later in the book, Taylor announces that she's getting divorced, and Tori just loses it. Yeah, part of her, like, identity and definitely, like, her relationship, like, it kind of just, like, solidifies, like, how she was feeling, right? Like, oh, shit, like, if if Taylor can't make this work, mm-hmm. and she's in the public, how the hell am I going to do that? Mm-hmm. I can't keep up appearances for that much longer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And there's like, there's that quote too. It's like, never meet your heroes or whatever. Like, never meet your heroes in real life. And so true. Kind of like reminds me of this of like, we idolize and we put people like up on a pedestal and like, oh, they're so perfect and their shit doesn't stink and they go through lives like care carefree and they don't have problems and. But then when you meet them and and you realize like, yeah, they're human just like me and they have issues and So disappointing. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything else you want to say about Hollyborn or how do you like me now? Nah, I think I think we covered the book and how much we loved it and all the parts we related to or couldn't relate to. I agree. I think it's I just reread it recently in preparation for the podcast, and it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Uh, that brings us to the end of the podcast. I hope we spoiled the entire book for you. Becky, where can people find us if they want to find out more information about us? Y'all can find us at www.wejustliketotalk.com for more information and our cool, awesome logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can subscribe to our podcast. Yeah, leave us a review. Places like iTunes really help really helps us out. And uh, contact us on social media. You can find our socials on the website and let us know what you think. Give us five stars, peeps. Five stars for at listening. least. <laughs> at least. And uh, thank you for hanging out with me, Becky, and talking to me about Hollyborn and these books that we've both really enjoyed. I love it. Thank you for being a book pusher, Ben. I would have it no other way. You can always come to me for the good shit. Ha, 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 ha.